So in our preaching series this fall, we're gathering around Jesus as he's revealed by that first century eyewitness Mark. And last week, we jumped right into the deep end. We heard Jesus ask his students who people were saying he was as he went throughout the countryside healing people and teaching. And one of his students, Peter, says, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're God's chosen one, the Savior of the world, you're the person who's going to restore the relationship between the Creator and creation. And then Jesus shocks them by saying that the Son of Man must suffer and die. Son of Man, that's a term that appears in our reading this week as well. It was a term referring to the expected Messiah. And the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament writes about one like a Son of Man coming on the clouds in glory to conquer the world in the name of God. But there's nothing about him dying a shameful death. So when they say, you're the Messiah, and Jesus says, yes, and the Son of Man is going to be handed over into the hands of men and be killed, this would have been shocking for Jesus' students to hear. Now, Bishop Jenny called this the great reveal and the great reversal. I am the Messiah, that's the reveal, but the Messiah is not who you think, that's the reversal. And as we saw last week, this reveal and reversal has implications for us, has implications for people who want to follow Jesus, who call themselves Christians. Because Jesus says, if this is who I am, if this is what it looks like to be the Messiah, then this is what it means for anybody who wants to be my follower. You've got to lay down your love of self. You've got to pick up your willingness to suffer for others. And the gospel reading this week is the second time in the gospel of Mark that we see Jesus predict his death, and something similar is happening. This jarring contrast between what Jesus' disciples, his students, expect of him, to be this king who raises an army and liberates Israel from the hated Roman occupying force, and what Jesus knows is coming, which is his betrayal and death. So they're on the road, and it says Jesus didn't want anybody to know where they were, didn't want any of those crowds that surrounded him all the time because he needed to tell his core students this core teaching that the Son of Man would be betrayed and killed and resurrected. But his disciples don't get it. In verse 32, it says they're afraid to ask him about it. And that's a feeling all of us can relate to, right? You've been in a situation where you don't understand what's going on, but you're embarrassed or, or afraid to, to ask because it'll show your ignorance. So they keep on going. Fast forward to the city of Capernaum, which was kind of a home base for Jesus' ministry. And he says, um, hey, what were you guys arguing about back there on, on the road? And I guess he dropped this hard teaching on them, and then maybe they got quiet, and then he walked on by himself, but he could tell they're like agitatedly talking amongst themselves. But no, they're quiet again. They're too embarrassed to admit what was happening. They were arguing about who was the greatest among them. What a thing, right? Like, just stop with this detail. Jesus tells them what's coming to him. The Son of Man, the Messiah, is going to be handed over into the hands of men, and he must die and be raised again. And they don't get it, and they go quiet. And then, like, two seconds later, they're like, I'm the best. Like, who's the favorite student, the head boy, you know? Which one of them is closest to Jesus? It's an object lesson in missing the point. Anyway, back to Capernaum, Jesus asks them, what, what were you arguing about? And they won't answer because they're embarrassed, but he knows because he's Jesus, right? So verse 35, he sits down. 
That's the posture of a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, who's taking his position to teach with authority. Rabbi sat to teach, Jesus is sitting to teach. And he calls the 12, the 12 guys he's named the apostles, which means the ones who are sent, the ones who he's sent out as his chief messengers. Like there is a hierarchy among his disciples, and these are the core, this is the core group. And he says, whoever wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So he's speaking to what they were arguing about back there on the road. Whoever wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And then he illustrates the point. Now, they're in a house somewhere, probably the home of one of the disciples who's putting up the group, maybe Peter. And the kids are running around because that's what kids do. And one of the kids who's around, Jesus embraces him or her. Mark doesn't say if it's a boy or a girl. doesn't matter. It's a tender image. And he says, listen to this. This is really important. He says, whoever welcomes one of these little children welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. Okay. And if you welcome me, you welcome the one who sent me, who is God. So if you welcome one of these little children, you welcome God. Huge if true, right? Like, are you kidding me? Of all the questions that we might have in life, how can I know God is probably at the top, or at least ought to be, And right here, Jesus, Jesus just tells us, how do I know God? How do I have God in my life? Welcome one of these little ones. Holy cow. We read this sentence like we're reading some other words, like a menu or a classified ad or that review explaining the Ted Lasso episode that dropped on Friday that was super weird. But like, pause and think about what this means. Like if I sent you an email and I was like, yeah, things are good. Here's what's up with the kids. There's a billion dollars buried under that tree in your front yard. We're hoping to take a drive to see the fall colors, really hoping the Seahawks have a good season. You'd be like, let's rewind to that billion dollars part. This is a billion dollar sentence. You want God in your life? Welcome one of the little children. Jesus says so. But here's where we've got some work to do. Because we are reading this sentence, verse 37, through 21st century Western eyes. And in our culture, children are prized and treasured and protected. A missing child can be a national news story, but it hasn't always been like this. And in fact, what we assume to be normal, that children are celebrated and precious, the idea of childhood itself as a distinct and important phase of life, with entire branches of the government devoted to their protection, is pretty novel, historically speaking, just a couple hundred years old. But in Jesus' time and place, and in fact in most times and places, children were not viewed as sacrosanct. In fact, they were at the bottom of the heap. As one scholar writes, children represented the bottom, the absolute bottom of the social and economic scale in terms of status and rights in the ancient Mediterranean world. So the value of a child was the adult that they would become. Now I'm not saying that people didn't love their kids, but kids as a whole weren't protected And kids weren't special. So when Jesus says, whoever welcomes one of the children welcomes me, and that's God who sent me, he's not saying, oh, look at the children. Aren't they so cute? Our little precious darlings. To see the innocent face of a child is to see the face of God. Like, that works on Facebook. It doesn't work here. So what does Jesus mean, then, when he says to welcome a child is to welcome him? Why does receiving a child mean receiving Jesus? 
in the context of our reading today, what is it about a child that makes this true, this billion-dollar statement true? It's the fact that children are powerless. It's the fact that children can't defend themselves from disrespect, from harm, from violation. It's the fact that children have to live in a world where they don't call the shots. And the fundamental powerlessness of a little child is why Jesus says that to receive such a one is to receive him. Because remember, this is the end of the lesson that started back on the road with him predicting his death, that he would be handed over. Who gets handed over? Who gets passed around? Children. He would be handed over into the hands of violent men. This is the end of the lesson that started with Jesus describing a powerless Messiah, a son of man delivered into the hands of others, a man-handled son of man, a son of man whose body ceased to be his own, a son of man made meat when he was nailed to a cross. And anyone who wants to be first must be the very last in the service of all, servant of all, Jesus says, and he should know. Because he is God before everything, and he died on the cross, he became last to serve and save us all. So he did what he's telling his followers to do. So if you want to be my follower, Jesus says, if you want to be my student, if you want to carry my name, if you want to call yourself a Christian, you've got to do like I did. And the greater you want to be, the lower you'll go, because that's what I did. I went to the bottom by being lifted up when they opened up my arms. So if you want to be great, follow me down. Cast your sights low. Look down and open up your arms. It's precisely because this shocking powerlessness is the character of God's chosen one that receiving a child by nature powerless and vulnerable means receiving Jesus. It's because the crucified Messiah is like a child that way. And if we understand this, then we see the full impact of what Jesus is saying here. That it's not actually only by welcoming children specifically that we welcome Jesus. No, show me a human body that is powerless and vulnerable because it's too old or too young. The wrong color the wrong sex, the wrong shape, because it looks or moves or thinks different, or it can't move, or it's locked away, or it believes the wrong thing. Show me a body without a voice, a body that can't command regard, a body that can be disrespected with impunity, a body that can be violated or discarded, and I will show you the Christ of God. To welcome such a one, by extension of what Jesus is saying here, to be kind, to be gentle, to seek their good, to welcome such a one is to welcome God in the flesh. Okay, so I said this was a billion-dollar sentence. Whoever welcomes one of these little children welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, and a billion dollars would change your life, right? So here's Jesus talking about downward mobility. How does that change your life? How does that change your week? How does that change today? Well, the upshot is actually that it'll change everything. Because when Jesus says, if you want to be greatest, you've got to serve the least, isn't that an implicit critique of what we usually do? 
Like, he wouldn't have to say that if we did that all the time anyway, if that's just what came naturally. But it's not, and we don't. Why do we serve anything? Why do, why do we give people or institutions or causes our time, our money, our loyalty? And sometimes it's out of fear. We serve someone or something more powerful than us because we're afraid of what they'll do to us or say about us if we don't do what they want. This happens in bad family dynamics. This happens in bad work dynamics. This happens in bad politics. And sometimes we serve out of greed. We serve someone or something more powerful than us because we want what they can give and we think if we give them what they want, they'll give us what we want. But always, always, whenever we serve, we serve something more powerful. That's what service is. It's giving our little power to make something more powerful even more powerful. And in fact, all of us live our lives within this social structure, this architecture of this service of power and money. The world is an anthill of people seeking gain and avoiding pain. But all the greatness that we strive for in our, in our politics, in our professions, even in our families, none of it lasts. What comes naturally to us is to live like people frantically trying to climb a cresting ocean wave as if it's going to endure, as if it will hold our weight, like as if the froth at the top will keep us from the depths below. It's easy to lose sight of this. It's easy to think that normal, like just the way we live is okay, pretty much, that the way things are is the way things have to be. It's easy to lose sight until Jesus says, whoever wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. And you realize, like someone waking from sleep, that there's another way you can look at things, do things. There's another way to be, that it could be different. This is the kingdom of God where the people the world puts last come first. And the people who the world puts first put themselves last. And the greatness of this community of people, this, St. Paul's Bloor Street, who bear Jesus' name will not be in any grandeur of what we do, but in how we welcome little ones. I don't know if you feel powerful or powerless. Right? It's going to be a mix. I do know we're all on a spectrum, and it changes throughout our lives because we're all born totally helpless, and none of us dies strong. But no matter where you are, I think it would be easy to hear Jesus here and uh, kind of throw up your hands. Like, here's another impossible thing that Jesus is asking, an ethical burden. Like, maybe Mother Teresa could pull this off, but what about the rest of us? Here's what I want to leave you with. Here's what I want you to understand. I'm not meaning to lay this on you as some impossible challenge. Because the words of Jesus right here are an invitation to freedom. First must be last is good news, if you'll let it be, because it will liberate you from the relentless need to climb, to attain, to gain, and achieve. It will liberate you from needing to be first. And I don't know your circumstance, but I guarantee you, guarantee you that before the sun sets, you will cross paths with at least one person who needs a welcome of some sort. And this will happen to you throughout the, your day, every day. You want God in your life. God isn't sitting waiting at the top of the heap. But the world is full of Christ waiting to be welcomed. Our streets are stippled with God. If you will only look down. And if you live like this. If you just let go of striving for greatness and welcome the powerless instead. If you seek to be last, not 
first, if your greatness hangs not on what you accomplish, but on who and how well you love with the unknowable number of days that you have left, then you'll live your life as a servant of all, and you will live free. 